Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. People pay good money to see this movie. When they go out to a theater, they want cold sodas, hot popcorn, and no monsters in the projection booth. Everyone pretend podcasting isn't boring. Turn it off. Did you see? There's a crusade coming. Do you often dream things that happen just as you dream them? Yes. The test is simple. Remove your hand from the box. And you die. What's in the box? Pain. You inherit too much power. You have proven you can rule yourself. Now you must learn to rule others. Something none of your ancestors learned. My father rules an entire planet. He's losing it. He's getting a richer one. He'll lose that one too. Arrakis is a death trap. Kill them. This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? I know you. One day, the legend will be born. All of civilization depends on it. The future, I can see it.
I must not fear. Fear is the mind killer. My Lord Duke. Where the fear is gone, only I will remain. Welcome to the projection booth and to the culture cast. And I'm Chris, and this is Mike, by the way. We didn't introduce ourselves, but you know who we are. And on this episode, we are talking about the 2021 film from Denis Villeneuve, Dune, starring Timothy Chalamet. Man, if that doesn't get you excited to talk about this movie, I don't know what about Stellan Skarsgård. <laughs> it's an all star cast. Yeah, it is. It's a, not only is it an all star cast, it is a large cast a very large cast as one would expect with a space epic like dune large cast but missing some key players in this let's call it part one i mean this thing has to be one of two but they have yet to officially announce the second part though i know that they've already started previs of the film Basically, he's already started making the second part before it's officially announced that it is going to happen. And we should mention here, spoilers, we're going to be talking spoilers. Spoilers big time. If you haven't seen this, if you haven't seen the 1984 Dune, if you haven't seen even that horrible sci-fi channel Dune, we're going to be talking about all of it. Before we talk about the movie proper, Mike, let's give the listeners who maybe are on the fence right now, skip or watch. I know on your show you don't do this, but this is a new movie that people, you know, that a lot of people are going to be hearing about, wondering if they should see. If you've never seen a version of Dune before, go ahead and check it out. Yes, and I say that begrudgingly, as I'm sure you do as well, because this is not the Dune I would suggest people watch, but it's the Dune that's going to be the most approachable for the largest group of people, I think, With their experience with films. I'm not saying that the David Lynch Dune is some, you know, grand experiment in some sort of cinema verite, but it is a confusing movie because it explains a lot less than this one does. Now, mind you, the other cuts of Dune are a different story, but this movie, for all of its problems, which it has many, it gets to the core of the story a lot quicker and easier than most of these movies do. This movie is two and a half hours long, and we know that David Lynch's Dune was two hours long theatrical version. And then we've seen versions, what four hours long with all the TV stuff and extra scenes and deleted scenes and all that stuff put in. And I'm not even talking about the intro stuff, that stuff that was done with like the production stills, the, the, the drawings, Jihad stuff. Yeah. All that stuff with that very the, ponderous voiceover, the stuff where your eyes start to glaze over. You're just like, Ugh. What? Yeah. This is not Star Wars, folks. This is much more complicated. It it just is on the face of it. Even with the longer David Lynch versions, you get scenes that aren't in this, which really help explain things. Like one of my favorite scenes that isn't in the theatrical version of Dune that is in those longer versions, the fan cuts, the TV version is 
when we have the meeting of Liet Kynes with Duke Leto Atreides, Paul, Gurney, and I can't remember if Thufer's in there too or not, but that whole thing where Kynes spits on the floor. Dr. Kynes, being in the employ of the Emperor, as you are, perhaps it isn't wise for you to uh, associate too closely with us Atreides. On the contrary, I feel very comfortable here. Remember how precious water is here. It was a token of respect. Are you enlisting with us? You see through to the truth of a thing, sire. That means a dual alliance. He's in with the Emperor. A dual alliance? Yes. But not with the Emperor. The Fremen. Then let the water be a bond between us. In the Villeneuve film, he is introduced earlier. Right. But I don't think Stilgar comes into, into the city. No, in the in the Lynch one, no. Yeah, okay, I didn't think so. And we get that whole thing of the pouring of the water, and then we see the the moon reflection in the water and all that. It's just so much more visually striking to me at the the Lynch version. There's I mean, it's not as big and epic and stuff when it comes to like the special effects, but they're just so much more theme to it. I mean, you don't get that whole thing about the sleeper must awaken and all that stuff. You don't get the whole like the hand symbolism. Yeah. It's like, it's like one of the, that's the thing that you and I quote to each other. That's a thing people know. Father, the sleeper has awakened is one of this franchise. The books, classic lines. That is a line, you know, just like the spice must flow. The sleeper has awakened is if there's two, you know, may the force be with you. And uh, I don't know what the other what would the other one be in Star Wars? I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah, like it's like one A and one B or like, I love you. I know like that's the equivalent here. He's not in this movie. Maybe it'll be in the next one. But man, for all of the talent on screen, this is the most goddamn drab in person interpretation of Frank Herbert's source material. I could have ever imagined when I read the book earlier this year for the first time in a long time as like an adult, I read it as a teenager, but that doesn't count. Reading it as an adult is a very different, you know, it's very different. And watching this movie, that is not what I interpreted it to be. And I'm not sure how you could get that interpretation because this is so, it is very one note. It is, it is, look, Denis Villeneuve, this is not to speak down to his talents as a director, but you should stick to the things that are successful for you and not try to make a Christopher Nolan movie. Because that's all this is. Uh, yeah, it just some of the choices when it comes to the adaptation of it. I'm just like, why are you doing this? I'm not saying that everything that Lynch did was right or perfect. No. I just think that he knew when to introduce characters and to have the relationships between those characters a lot more. Like the whole thing of like, just Gurney showing up rather than Gurney, Thufer, and Dr. Yue, so that you get introduced to those characters. The whole idea of letting us know that Dr. Yue is a traitor, the Baron does not let 
Raban and Fade Ratha know that uh, who the traitor is, but we know as the audience who the traitor is, and we get that whole thing. So it just is weird. And then that they keep Dr. Yui away from the scene when they introduce the shout-out mapes. It's like, again, we get more Dr. Yui, so it's more of a slap in the face when it comes to him betraying them. And you get the whole thing, too, of like, well, my wife. And it's like, okay, we don't get the wife stuff until when he's removing the tooth later on. It's like, okay, yeah, all right. It's just, just, it's weird decisions. Like, why are you leaving this out, moving this over here, moving this over here? Again, I'm not saying that Lynch's film is perfect, but really it just shows like when to introduce characters. And like, uh, I mean, we can talk about Jason Momoa's Duncan Idaho. I know that Duncan doesn't necessarily bite it as quickly in the book, but my God, we're just going to, we got Jason Momoa. We're going to use this mofo for as long as we can. He doesn't die until right before the end of this fucking movie. And guess how much he adds to the movie? A whopping zero. Oh, by the way, you mentioned you mentioned someone who's not in this movie, who's a major part of the Lynch one. Where is Fade, Routha? Where's the Emperor? Like you said, the Lynch movie has its problems. And you know what? Frankly, I'm I'm done. I'm done pretending like the Lynch movie's not a good movie. If you don't it's like a fucking the, great movie. If you don't like the Lynch movie, I, I say this with absolute sincerity, you just don't like it. It's not a bad movie. It's not the most comprehensible movie. But guess what? My expectation at this point, if you're going to watch something like Dune, you should at least know what this is about. Because this movie is going to do everybody a disservice by assuming everyone knows nothing. Because then you have to catch everybody up to the same point. And good fucking luck with this story. Because they don't talk about the Butlerian Jihad or the fact that these are Earthlings in the far goddamn future of our humanity where we as humans have been you know, had to fight the robots to survive. It's They don't talk about any of that. So then you're wondering, like, why does Dr. Yue speak Mandarin? It's like, well, it makes sense if these are Earthlings. Why is his name Duncan Idaho? Two things that are Earth Earthbound inspiration. Yeah. Why are the Fremen speaking Arabic? Why is that what they say? And yeah, it's just so strange. The first... 90 minutes of this film and i rewatched it again today so i've watched it twice in two days and the first 90 minutes i was like okay i'm kind of with this movie it's really once they crash in the desert it then it really just to me takes a turn and it's like they are out there in that desert for a long fucking time before they reach the safety of rock, before they meet the Fremen, like they don't need to meet them immediately because the Fremen live in the deep desert, but it should be a little quicker. And it just feels like there's a lot of stuff going on. And then it's so strange to me that Paul keeps having these dreams and it really doesn't seem to me that he's connecting it with the spice and that the spice changes him and, it's just strange. But anyway, he keeps having these dreams and Jamas is showing up like crazy in the dreams. And then when they finally meet Jamas, as is the story, he kills Jamas pretty much right away. And it's like, well, why was he in your dreams then? And why is he acting like he's going to be this like mentor figure, but in your dreams? I would assume it's in the set. I, I, I think the problem with this movie is it's boring, but I don't want to be like, it could be in the second movie. Because that feels like giving it too much credit. Because like, oh, Fade Rotha may be in the second movie, or maybe he's just not in this at all. 
Have we contemplated that? Maybe they don't give a shit. Maybe the one character, one of the characters that most people know about from the last Dune just isn't in this movie. Even though he's a big part of the book, even though he's literally the climax of what the next movie would be. He could have been the Kwisatz Haderach. I mean, he was being bred just like Paul was bred, but Paul, you know, to the point of Reverend Mother, she says, Jessica, you were supposed to only bear his daughters, but she doesn't say that in this movie. It isn't a point of contention that she gave birth to a son. And that's something that I thought was very important from that. I thought it was very important that he was learning Mentat ways from Thufur, that he was learning Bene Gesserit ways from his mother, that he gives in so easily to the Reverend Mother when she uses the voice on him and immediately kowtows to her. I'm like, no, no, he's supposed to resist that voice. You know, there needs to be that he has some power. We've seen him use the voice a little at the very beginning with the water glass, but come on. And I don't understand why Paul doesn't immediately go to his dad and say, hey, this guy out here watering all these date palms, get rid of this guy and get rid of those goddamn date palms. They're taking up a hundred people's water a day. Like that should be the first thing that the Atreides do when they come to this place. I agree. I don't think it's any surprise that one of the people who worked on the script for this film is John Spates. One of the things that he has worked on that I was not a huge fan of, and it always sticks out whenever I look at his filmography Prometheus. Yo, he did help write Doctor Strange, which is a fantastic Marvel movie. But I see. (laughs) It's kind of like Iron Man, but with magic. There's nothing wrong with that. I look, I'm one of those people that actually likes Doctor Strange, which where you are coming from is just as valid. (laughs) And more people feel that way, I, I honestly feel. I see shades of Prometheus in this, where it's like trying to make it seem so grand and tripping and falling flat on your face in the process. Look at these grand vistas and all this stuff. And let's just squander it with poorly written dialogue and one dimensional characters. Like nobody's having a good time in this. No, Josh Brolin looks so humorless. It's like, dude, why are you even here? He looks just miserable. And we can understand that we've seen Patrick Stewart play the exact same role. And he plays it very seriously at times. But then he breaks out the ballast set. He behold, as a wild ass in the desert, go I forth to my work. Like all that great stuff. He has a sense of humor. And this one, it's like, why is Gurney saying these weird things? Like we know that he's a like a troubadour, that he, you know, sings and does all this other stuff. But in this version, in the Villeneuve version of Dune, he's just completely humorless. And then every once in a while he gives like these weird non sequiturs where I'm like, okay, I guess that's from a song or a poem that you just wrote there, Bernie. All right, thanks. Well, honestly, you know what it feels like? It feels like they gave all of all of Gurney Halleck's character to Duncan Idaho. Oh my god. He, he's such a bro in this. Again, it's like we saw Aqua bro and now we got Duncan Ida bro. Come on, man. What's up, my boy? You're not his dad. <laughs> it's like, and they took all of those laugh lines, the, like the five, four, three maybe laugh lines that there are and put them all in the trailer. So it like makes it look like it's got a lot more humor to it. Like, well, you grew some muscle. No, ha 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 ha. You know, I am smiling. Those kind of things. It's like, all right, great. And then it was weird. I, I had to go back and rewatch the trailer again today because I was like, the only thing I remember from the trailer is when Duncan Idaho says, 
let's fight like demons. And then I watched the movie and he says, they fight like demons. I'm like, wait a second. So I listened and you can hear it's an audio edit. They took let's from another line and added it to fight like demons. Like, oh, okay. Did you realize that Liet Kynes is now the mother of Chani? Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. she the mother of Chani? Because I was curious how that relationship was since Chani usually introduces herself in my Dune as I am Chani daughter of Liet. Now we just have a fucking sullen. Everybody's so fucking sullen. I know nobody is having fun. Chani is so sullen. Let you, you want to talk about the most sullen of sullen actors in this entire film. Timothy Chalamet. I appreciate what he's going for. I actually like him as an actor. But the energy that he doesn't bring to this role, and by energy that he doesn't bring, I mean he has no energy. Like you said, everybody's playing the same beat, the like down, you know, downtrodden. For whatever reason, you're a bunch of rich fucks. Come on. You are literally one of the richest group of assholes in the universe. And you are assholes. It's pretty well established that all of these characters, for the most part, at least the 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 leaders of these houses are terrible people. They're just varying degrees of terrible because they're all in the same capitalist spectrum. And they really don't mention any of that because Paul is not really a good guy in a lot of ways, right? Like he becomes kind of a villain pretty quickly into or like kind of a weird villainous character in the later books. Am I right? The whole purpose of this stuff was Herbert really kind of saying like this Messiah stuff is garbage and like you know you'll hear a lot of people talk about like oh it's another white savior film and it's like no herbert was actually kind of like saying that the white savior is full of shit you know it's this whole thing of like these religions they do bring it up here a little bit which is good this whole idea of the Bene Gesserit, and they didn't say the i think the uh guild navigators do this a little bit too but especially the Bene Gesserit go around and they plant these messianic stories into all these cultures. And then Lady Jessica's thing is that she sees this stuff happening, knows the stories, and then is able to manipulate them. And you kind of get that a little bit with that scene with her and shout out Mapes, but really it doesn't come into it enough. And what really got my goat was after Paul kills Jamas she needs to then prompt him 
to cry so that he will give water to the dead because that is yet another part of that messianic thing. And it's like, she doesn't say anything. I'm like, no, you should go up and be like, how does it feel to be a killer? And like really be a dick to her own son in order to help push that prophecy narrative forward. And what's strange is it's such a crucial part of the book that you can't leave. There are things in the book, again, having now read it so recently, there are things you can't leave out of the book or the movie that are in the book. And that is one of those things. Because again, it's it's the way that he continues to ingratiate himself into these Fremen. I like that when Stilgar meets him, he's just like, I know who you are. Stilgar, I, I don't know what it was, but Javier Bardem does not look like Javier Bardem in this movie. I think there's something about the way they like wrap his face or cloak his face that looks very strange. Also, I mean, the thing with the blue eyes, I mean, yeah, I know that they were going to do the blue eyes thing, but varying degrees of success. I don't know. Javier Bardem, like everybody else, is really not in this movie. At least the Fremen characters aren't in this movie very much, obviously, given the story is kind of split between the two worlds. And it's weird, too, that they don't really show the the space flight. The way that they talk about the spice helps them navigate rather than the spice helps them fold space. That to me was the one of the coolest things. That that's to me is the scene we've seen in all these movies with the piece of paper that you fold and you stick the pen through. And I'm like, there you go. That's the third stage guild navigator. And we haven't seen any navigators unless those folks that come off of the ship at the very beginning, well, the ones with some of the bigger helmets, like maybe those are first stage still guild navigators, but we haven't seen the third stage yet. I don't know. That to me was another major thing. The whole thing of how the guild navigators are smarter than the emperor and that they can see the plans within plans. It's like all of these classic speeches. And I agree with you. There are things that you can leave out of the movie. There's that character and I'm trying to remember his name. He's it's like that part of that castle intrigue kind of stuff. He shows up at like some of their dinner parties and stuff. I can't remember that guy's name, but it's like him and his wife. And there's this like all this little political intrigue going right, on. The Countess, you mean? They're not in this movie. They weren't in the Lynch one. I don't know if they were in the sci-fi one. I tried to put that out of my head, but they don't need to be here and they're not, which is good. There's nobody here that doesn't need to be here, but there's so many people that I feel should be here that aren't. And there are people that are here that are given nothing to do. I am shocked at how much they advertised Stellan Skarsgård and Dave Bautista being in this film. One scene each, two maybe. Like, I again, I know, as do you, they are a much bigger part of the second film. Maybe. If there is a second film, which again, I'm assuming there will be. And assuming that they don't just go off script and do whatever the fuck they want in that movie. Again, I... I have a hard time trusting people who take something that is so obviously already laid out for them and decide, I'm going to make changes here to the grand narrative that don't add anything. Look, you want to talk about the most obvious example here? The thing that, what's the one thing everybody gets mad about with Lord of the Rings adaptations? Tom Bombadil. Does Tom Bombadil add a goddamn thing to that story? (laughs) Not a fucking thing. Give his lines to Treebeard and then fuck that guy. Yeah. And look, what is Tom Bombadil in the Lord of the Rings? He's God, right? He is the God character. He is literally God made man flesh, meets back on the menu, lives in a house with his, I guess, muse or nymph character, something to that effect. But again, he's 
not a character that really matters in the in this grand scope of the story. Gandalf goes and talks with him for like 10 years at the end of the story or something. But the stuff they've left out of this is so glaring that if you know the source material, you are asking where those things are. Like Fade Rautha, specifically. And and such a big part of the story. And so is Glossu Raban. I mean, so is Raban. So is Harkonnen. I mean, they have chapters in the book dedicated solely to their characters and to the machinations and the underpinnings of the things that they're doing. Nothing here. This is... There is no political intrigue that is half of what Dune is about, is political intrigue. The Dune board games capture that. As someone who's a huge fan of board games and those Dune board games, that captures it. Hell, the David Lynch one captures it, sort of, better than this does. But you can't just show us ornithopters and sandworms and expect us to sit there and be like, oh, great. It's like, it's more than that. Those scenes of the ornithopters, those scenes when they're on Arrakis, those scenes of the pageantry, all that. I'm like, okay, yeah, this is great. Okay, this looks really good. I will even say that the music, at times, there was, there's some overbearingness with some of the choral stuff. But the music, for the most part, I was like, okay, yeah, this kind of works. You know, it's not really a theme you don't get a prophecy theme like you do from brian you know you don't get the rock and score from toto you're just kind of getting it's very atonal type stuff there's nothing that you're going to be whistling when you come out of the theater uh, anytime you watch dune 2021 let me put it this way i purchased recently this year dune on vinyl the, the lynch one so i could listen to one thing in particular the end credits theme for that movie which i have gone on the record I love the end credits. I think it is absolutely one of my favorite end credits scenes in movies with that weird 80s thing that only you could do in the 80s. Just because you're making a movie like Chris Nolan with Legendary doesn't mean you have to hire the most boring composer in Hollywood. The most the most one-note composer, Hans Zimmer. This is my masterclass. Dun. Okay, everybody, I taught you how to do it. Dun. I'm going to hit the button again. Dun. One more time. Hans Zimmer, I appreciate how well he's worked with Chris Nolan, but man, he doesn't work very well with anybody else anymore because that only works with Chris Nolan because Chris Nolan is his own fucking auteur problem, problematic thing on its own. But this is not anything to get excited about. I mean, why didn't you go ahead and have Magma be the voice of the Harkonnens and have Pink Floyd be the Atreides? I mean... It's all laid out for you right there. Bring Dan O'Bannon's corpse in, you know. I like these actors so much, and it's just, it doesn't feel like they have enough to do. You know, you mentioned the Beast Raban. I love Dave Bautista. And just that he doesn't have a lot to do. And they talk about how fierce the Harkonnens are. And they talk about the Sadakar as well. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but Salula Secundus needs to be, it's the prison planet. It, it is a testing ground. What Arrakis is to the Fremen to make them hard-ass warriors, Salula Secundus needs to be to the Sadokar so that they can be these wild-ass warriors. And instead, it's just a rainy Seattle-type planet with this guy who looks like uh, you know Thor Heyerdahl's nephew as the main guy. I'm just like, okay, is this like the Viking planet? I don't really get where these guys are coming from with this. And they all do that like throat speaking kind of stuff. It is it is such an interesting choice that I appreciate it. It's different. It is visually different. 
Just they went and filmed wherever they filmed that opening scene in Prometheus. That's what it is. Just go find that waterfall in, where is it, Iceland or Greenland or wherever it is. Go find that waterfall. I think they shot a lot of this in Norway and then Abu Dhabi for the desert stuff. I'm not sure. Sounds about right. Should have gone back down to uh, Dead Dog Dump in uh, Mexico. <laughs> the the throat singing thing was interesting. Yeah, it was interesting that, that the film even opens up with that kind of weird language. And the language that they're using when it comes to, and I guess these are the Harkonnens that speak this way, it kind of reminded me of the unfiltered voice of the first stage guild navigator. Like before he puts the microphone up to his mouth and he does that like (laughs) kind of voice to it. That's kind of what they reminded me of. That was pretty good. Thank you. (laughs) The Benny Gesserit, witch must leave. Leave. (laughs) As Marie Kondo once said, this film does not fill me with joy. Not the way that Lynch Dune was like you and I, like just sitting here talking about the David Lynch Dune makes me want to just watch it and appreciate it and just live in that world for the three hours that it gives you. Because that is that is ultimately the goal and the purpose of something like this, is to give the audience a reason to stay in this world with these characters for two and a half hours. And I can say with an absolute surety right now that I have no interest in returning to this universe outside of watching the next movie once and being done with it. As soon as the movie was over, I was just like let's put on the original and watch that or find the longest fan edit I possibly can and put that on. Let's get that spice diver remix out there and just watch that shit again. Because yeah, this left a really bad taste in my mouth. It's slick. It's well shot. It's well made. It's well cast. It's not well written, but it's, it's nice to look at and shit. We're getting a Dune TV show too. Out of all of this. Yeah, Dune, the sisterhood. It's about the Benny Gesserit. I mean, I, I, look, I'm not going to complain about more Dune uh, unless it's Dune like this. And look, here's the other thing. We are in the minority of opinions here. Yeah, I'm sure we are. I'm sure a lot of people think that this is the bee's knees. 89% positive rating. I know people don't like Lynch's Dune as much as we do. <laughs> But it's just, yeah, to your point, I want to live in that world. I want I want my Stilgard to be Everett McGill, you know? And, and nothing against Javier Bardem, but it's just like, I just like McGill's interpretation of the role. I appreciate all of the interpretations of the roles. I But really, like, Oscar Isaac is, I love the guy, but yeah, he oh yeah. and Paul, Lido and Paul just feel so distant from each other like i could imagine paul like the cow mclaughlin paul calling his father sir but it feels like there's more of a relationship between those two like that they even share that little joke when they talk about how knowledge is strength and stuff it's just like okay and just that that you know i shall miss the sea the speech that he has and just that interchange between Paul and Leto, it feels like that's missing here. It's like, yeah, they have that scene by the the memorial with the bull, and they, they, we get the bull theme in here. Like, what the hand is to Lynch's Dune, the bull is to Villeneuve's Dune, because it is everywhere in here. And again, 
if you don't know the significance of it, like we see the the bull very briefly in Lynch's Dune, but it is nowhere near here. And we get a little bit of the whole thing about the grandfather being gored, but it's like really kind of lost in the shuffle. Well, that's I think ultimately what I'm realizing more and more about Denis Villeneuve is he really has to have someone whose screenplay plays to his strengths. And this does, this does not. I mean, I like Denis Villeneuve. This is what's, what's disappointing about this movie for me ultimately is it's that he made it because this movie is a shitty Denis Villeneuve movie. It's a nice movie to look at, but does it, does it even come close to talking about the things that Prisoners does or, or the, the themes of Sicario or fuck even, even Arrival? No, no, definitely no. Is it even half as, Beautiful to look at is Blade Runner 2049, the last movie he did. Fuck no. That movie had style up the ass and then some. This movie has style, but you know what it doesn't do? Anything with it. It's so goddamn drab and so goddamn boring and so goddamn dour that instead of at least loving the fact that you're making this movie, it's just like, okay, we're just going to make this very workmanlike dude movie. And... I I would really honestly go out on a limb here and say anyone could have made this movie because that's this was going to be the direction for Dune anyways. This very like sleek, you know, rounded edges, you know, like one colony or one group is rounded. The other one is sharp, like those very easy to understand visual references. Anybody was going to do that. Like that's but somebody needed to have a better grasp of that source material. The idea of uh, Nefod from the Lynch movie, the Jack Nance character, the whole thing of Peter DeVries giving him hand signals, which kind of implies that uh, Nefod is deaf, right. but they don't say it out loud and they don't really explore it that much. In here, we have a character that they specifically say, this guy's deaf, but then they don't say why it's important to have this deaf guy here. It's the whole thing of like, and they kind of talk about it, but they don't really. It's that whole thing of like, well, we're dumping them in the desert so the desert can kill them. And then if a truth sayer, sayer asks us, we can say that we didn't kill them. Right. And it's like, really, the deaf guy plays into that. It's that whole thing of like, we didn't say that. Like, I signed it to him, but I didn't say it to him. So it's like, there's a reason why there's a deaf guy on this on this trip rather than just he's an obstacle to get around for them to use the voice and that kind of stuff it's like i don't know it just it, there are so many weird little things in here where i'm just like you're not connecting the dots and it's like people are going to come to this and they'll say oh this is so much more faithful than the david lynch lynch version and it's like Yes and no, really no. I mean, the Lynch version, other than the weirding modules, was pretty fucking close to the book. Is it more grand than the Lynch movie? Sure, I guess, but just based on the fact that it's being made in 2021 with uh, $500 million or whatever, uh, $165 million budget, and the Lynch one was what, like 40 We're not getting that janky ass special effects stuff of like paul falling like oh kind of stuff and like when it comes to riding a worm it's going to be much more grandiose like we see a little bit of that here and it's weird too that they're keeping the worms secret like we just we don't see a worm properly until that moment 
as they have the safety of rock. And I'm sorry, Jamis, I don't think that it was your thumper that saved these folks. I think they were clearly on the safety of rock by that time, but Hey, whatever. Well, and it also really just goes to show something that you and I have talked about ad nauseum. Special effects don't make up for practical, and there are no special effects in the world that are going to make those sandworms look like anything other than just a giant CGI worm. I mean, they look decent. Yeah, but nothing special. Again, just to go along with the workmanlike approach to this film, it is very drab and uninteresting and unimaginative. And look, I've I've had the Dune Imperium board game sitting in my closet for like a year now that's been based off of this. And I looked at those pictures on that board game and I was disappointed. And I was really hoping it would translate better to screen. Nope. It's just very... Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's like they borrowed from things that you've seen before and ultimately, in the end, don't do anything with it. I mean, I'm glad that they didn't go the sci-fi channel route and just really overdo it with the silly hats. Cause that's right. like that whole sci-fi series just feels like we have to find the silliest hats that we possibly can in order to make these people feel like they're from outer space. I mean, I guess they're from outer space because they talk weird languages for a movie named Dune and you know, how central melange is to the universe. They don't talk about the spice melange very much, you know, it's in the air. It's in the tent. Look at it. Okay. Right. That dialogue of Paul's in the Lynch version, you know, you knew that the spice would change me, you know, the, the spice pure unrefined or like when he's out there and he smells his fingers, I'm just like, Oh yeah. Like he can, he can after it's he touches, after he touches one of the guys, you know, one of the spice miners and it's just like, Oh wow. You know, that's what spice smells like. This is kind of crazy. It's like, yeah, this should be a much bigger deal. This should be that his consciousness is changing because of the spice. And that's and what's if, in the book. Right. And it feels like it's just like, oh, yeah, cool. I'm having more dreams now. And I'm going to lie to my mother about these dreams, which also seems weird. It's like, you don't trust your mother with your own dreams. Well, that's the other the other thing about the like the relationships that you've talked about. Paul and Leto have very little. And then Paul and Lady Jessica, zero. Yeah. Though they've gone back to that weird sexual tension between the two of them. Like when Rudy Wurlitzer was writing the script, he was like having this whole, you know, for one that, that didn't ever happen, but he had this whole relationship between Paul and Jessica, this incestuous thing. And at one point when he's putting on a still suit, she's like looking at him like, okay, are we going back to this incest thing? That's what it felt like. I don't remember that from the book. Yeah. It just feels. Why do people want to mine that one? Like, I think the issue, you know what the issue is? They cast another old kid as Paul. Paul yeah. is like 12 in the book, right? 12. He's like, he's a, he's a teenager. Timothy mm-hmm. Chalamet is a fucking adult. <laughs> he's 25. He's six years younger than me. Right. Like, I'm sorry, but to your point, that sexual tension is going to happen I, 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 anyway, frankly. Yeah. I mean, 
Especially if you have a scene of her looking at him when he's putting on his suit. Fuck. Yeah. And there's a little bit of that too when he's putting the nose piece in and stuff and she just looks like she's really taken with him and I'm like, okay. I don't know. Just weird things. You know, just like more Duncan Idaho. Yeah. And you know what, guys? We know that Duncan's going to come back. You know, we've read the second, third, et cetera books. Like, He's going to come back as that weird Gola character. So don't worry. Even if Jason Momoa dies, he'll be back. You don't have to keep using him through this movie. And yeah, just have that. I I understand if you want to keep him around a little bit more than Richard Jordan, because Jordan dies way too quickly. But please just don't keep having him there for so much of this. And again, it really goes back to the fact that it's Jason Momoa. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we got Jason Momoa. He'll brighten up every scene or he'll completely just drag you out of the movie with his like bro shit that doesn't make any sense in this world. It just seems weird, too, when he shaves and suddenly he shows up without the beard. And then I see him again later and I'm like, wait a second, didn't you have a beard? I'm like, oh, wait, yeah, I guess there was that one scene where he didn't have the beard before this. I don't know. And I can understand Gurney disappearing. You know, that's that's fine. We know he'll come back and everything, but I don't know. It just, like I said, the decisions, the biggest decisions, though, Chris, the one that got me the most and that I was so upset by that I could barely sleep last night. Where's Dune Pug? Where's what? Dune Pug, that dog that goes through the entire Lynch film. Oh, right. The pug. The, the dog. Yes. Actual dog. That's right. <laughs> I could, yeah. What the fuck? Why is there just a, well, oh, yeah. Yeah. Long live the fighters. <laughs> I, you know what I was hoping for? I was hoping they would pay lip service to the original Dune by having Denis Villeneuve be on the sand, the sand. I was hoping so too. I was like, <laughs> spotters by the numbers. <laughs> yeah, but no, but no. It's almost like they didn't watch that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was really that like that movie, guys. Like, come on. Yeah, and there are people that absolutely fucking hate it, but sure. for no good reason. And there are people that there are hate, there are people that hate fucking sunny days too. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that Lynch Dune is some grand achievement in cinema, but it's pretty fun. It's so much more fun than this. And I will say, I don't think either one of us should be basing Dune on how fun it is, given that the story that it's telling, I think, is inherently not a fun story. But it's more entertaining, and that's what counts. Right. Unlike this, which is, again, congratulations, you made a Chris Nolan movie. And it's just as boring as, like, every other Chris Nolan movie that he's ever made. It is just as up its own ass trying to like be heady on things it doesn't actually care about talking about because mm-hmm. it is again a stupid person's idea of a smart man's movie. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, maybe the next one will get into some heady themes. I doubt it, but yeah, I mean feels like this was the opportunity to op- to plant those seeds and they didn't take them. So if they bring it up in the next movie, I don't know what the point would be, I guess. Mhm. Okay. We also had to talk about some of the voiceover stuff. You know, obviously there is no voiceover from the characters when it comes to this film. We don't get the inner voice. That's a choice and that's that's fine, even though I miss it. And it's there in the book really, really heavily. Yeah. So okay, you got that. 
But then in those dream sequences, is that the mouse talking to him? Go that one. I mean, it, it really sounds like it's the mouse talking to him and that weird CGI version of the of the mouse there and, you know, pulling the moisture off of its ears and that you see the mouse in the film book, you know, and he hides in the, the weeds with the film with that mouse when the uh, hunter seeker is coming in to kill him. I mean, it's just like, OK, uh, and then, yeah, well, there is voiceover during those dream sequences. And I'm just like, it changes from a man's voice to a woman's voice. But I swear to God, it's that mouse talking to him. The mouse on the Mayflower. That one, too. I mean, would you put it past them to be that heavy handed? No, no. Because that's like all. the level of heavy handedness that this movie exhibits with its themes. A talk. I mean, he is the I mean, the way they would justify it is he is the mouse. Yeah. You know, that's what he asks him. What is the name of the desert mouse on the third waning? What is it? I forget that fucking What's the name of the mouse shadow on the the second moon. Second moon. We call yeah. that one Luadib. And then this I one, would they like call to be the- known. <laughs> <Go ahead. laughs> I would like to be known as Paul Mordib. Yeah. And yeah. And that's weird would that they like to known as talking mouse. The movie. It is weird that they call the one crater the hand of God, and they really talk up the whole idea of the um, the gravity, or not the gravity, but like compasses being irrelevant and all that. The, the one thing I do like about this one is that they do talk about shields and how shields will make the worms go fucking crazy in the uh, deep desert. I'm like, okay, well, that's cool, because they, they don't really bring that up in the lynch one like why don't you just shield the the harvesters but don't have time for that you know he's he's working on character stuff we get to actually understand what motivates these people yeah and then the uh i will say the shields in this movie make up for how bad they look in the lynch one the shields are pretty nice still the same basic concept i mean the ones in lynch's version were no different they just you know couldn't be executed that well in 83 or whatever he made it. So, right. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, visually there's a lot to look at here. There's a lot of cool things to see, but yeah. Yeah. Man. Those sometimes those shields remind me a little too much of, uh, like a video game thing, the whole blue and red stuff. It's like, Oh, Oh, flashing red. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you better get a power up. Yeah, I, I'm just looking back over the cast, and yeah, I mean, I'm I think that my biggest disappointment of everyone is Stellan Skarsgård because I really was hoping that they're gonna get <clears throat> to have Harkonnen be the monster that he is in the book. Right. They they right. kind of talk about it in the Lynch one, and in the extended Lynch one, you get to see him just like murder that prepubescent slave boy. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this one, it's just like he's just like fat. Yeah, that's it. And he talks, and he talks, talks weird. Low. Yeah. Well, he talks like, you know who he talks like? He talks the way Stellan Skarsgård talks. Just yeah. normal. He just doesn't sound any different. I mean, and, and where's the doctor, man? Leonard Cimino in that film? Oh, <laughs> put the pick in there, Pete. Turn it around real neat. <laughs> you are my baron. Yeah, where? I don't oh, know. Oh, my baron. Your diseases sing to me. <laughs> I mean, they, there is that one cool shot that's from the trailer of Stellan Skarsgård kind of like floating in the air. Mm-hmm. It's a cool shot, but you can see it in the trailer. Yeah. Yep. I don't so know. don't trust the trailer. 
<laughs> don't trust that trailer for that demon's line. No. Well, and, and don't trust the trailer either because the trailer doesn't really give away the fact that this is half of a movie. Yeah. Yeah, and that was... I think it's going to take a lot of people off guard. I think it is too. Yeah, because they just start wandering off in the desert and then that's it. I mean, my wife actually gave an audible what the fuck while we were watching this last night. <laughs> it's like the Sopranos there at the end. It just stops. What it the just fuck? stops. Yeah. And then there's not a cool end theme song to your point. You just get more of that zimmer zimmering. Paul Atreides will return in Dune part two. <laughs> not called this and this isn't called Dune Part One. Right. This this is that same shit that they did with it. Yeah. Where it's it chapter one, but not chapter one if you were to see it advertised at the Cineplex. Right. Which is a total bait and switch. Like it's credited on screen as Dune Part One, but it is not being advertised as Dune Part One. Yeah, they really should have that on the poster, but then it'll make people mad. I mean, I want another to- franchise. Yeah. Well, fucking a. Yeah, this will be a franchise if this movie is successful. I- and then if not, you know what they'll do? They'll just say like, "Oh, well, it was uh, streaming. Uh, killed it. You know, we, we couldn't have it stream already." And I'm I'm very curious personally how this is available a week early for people to see. Me too, because it is a pretty good copy, and by pretty good, a- I mean. HD for the most yeah. part. Damn good copy. Yeah. No Korean subtitles. <laughs> no course up here. No, though I have to say, whoever provided the SRT file really needs to listen a lot closer. I was cracking up at some of the, the wrong translations, especially Dr. Yui when he was, what was it? It was like the back tooth, but he, it was, oh, what? It, the bad tooth, and then something about like, how you can crush the tooth and it said crash instead of crush. (laughs) (laughs) You can crash the tooth if you want. Yeah. (laughs) I guess my hope for the next movie is that John Spates isn't involved in writing it. Yeah. No, I I just, I want someone to work on this that understands, that understands the source material. And I want to believe that they do because they get a lot of the beats, but man, they just miss some stuff. That's like, glaring and if they're like well, yeah. we're saving fade routha for the second movie like well you're telling it your own order then because he is in the first act of this story pretty heavily yeah i mean the other writer eric roth i mean he's pretty hit or miss as well he's worked a lot with uh fincher a lot with um oh well he did the forrest gump uh screenplay um and then, yeah, I mean, but he's been working all the way back to 1970 at least. But yeah, some of the stuff that he's been behind, like a Star is Born remake of a remake of a remake, and Curious oh, no, Case people, of Benjamin people Button. People like that movie, okay? People like that movie. Yeah, I know they like that movie. Curious Case of Benjamin Button. People like that movie. They do. I'm not sure who they are, but they do. Killers of the Flower Moon. He's also the scriptwriter on that. That upcoming, the upcoming Scorsese movie. Okay. He was also uh, he also wrote on the postman, so that should have given me all I needed to know about yeah. the Concord Airport seventy nine, one of the uh, better airport ones. This one scared the shit out of me because I want to say it. Uh, does it fly? No, it's uh, it's the 
I can't remember for this one crashes in the water or if that was the one that um, uh, just the flight decompresses. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's worked with a, he has worked with a lot of people. Oh, yeah. Zemeckis, Cosner, Redford, Mann, De Niro, Spielberg. Not this one. Yep. Yeah, I mostly am familiar with his work with Fincher, with Benjamin Button, and then Mank, and he also produced uh, House of Cards. So, what you gonna do? I really hope that whatever we get as the follow-up to this does more with the source material than this did, but... I mean, I feel that it's already been written, and they're just working on the next one, so... Just that now it's going to be a matter of like, okay, who are they casting as Urlan as the Emperor? I mean, that's I'm trying to think in and Fade Routh if they just if they deign to bring Fade Routh into the story. Yeah, looking at the poster, the people that are on the poster, everybody makes sense but Liet Kynes. Yeah. Yeah, um, I can understand the gender swapping, the race changing, all that kind of stuff. It was kind of nice to see some of the black people amongst the Fremen and even uh, the uh, the black um, uh, mentat, Thufur Howitt, was good. And I did like how Thufur's eyes kind of like white over when he's doing calculations, but I wanted to see more of that. I mean, I love Thufur Howitt. I love Freddie Jones, but I wanted to see more Thufur inside of here. I wanted to see him doing things. And like, yeah, there's that scene of uh, him tendering his reg- resignation, but I really wanted it to be more personal for him that he feels like he fucked up when it came to the way that he couldn't find the spies in the building. And Stephen McKenley Henderson is a great actor. He's he is. Great. He's, he's fantastic. Good, he's a good Thufir Howitt for this universe. Yeah. And they've got a good Peter, uh, Peter DeVries, too. Does he not die in this movie? No, Peter dies. Yeah, he's since they all have bald heads, it's very tough to tell who's who. Like so many people, I was like, is that the Beast Bond? No, no, that's another guy. Is that the Beast? No, no. And yeah, Peter is there when, and this scene confused the hell out of me, even though I've seen it in the Lynch version so many times, when Leto spits the poison or breathes the poison out, he's everybody in that whole fucking room dies, including Piter. Right. I remember that from the Lynch movie. I just, it was hard to tell in this movie. Right. But it was, I mean, Piter is the one that gets it in the Lynch movie. Yeah. In the face. Yeah, exactly. And does that great cough and then, (laughs) then fall over. I love Brad Dwarf in that role. But then like when they came back and you hear the Baron and he's up at, at, in the ceiling, I was just like, what the fuck is that? You know, like I, it, it was so dark in that scene that I couldn't tell what was going on. And then finally I was like, okay, well, I guess the Baron's still alive. Cause we saw, saw his shield turned to red. And I really didn't think anybody really used shields other than the Atreides. I, I didn't know that Harkonnens use shield as well. Oh, sorry. Harkonnens use. Harkonnens. <laughs> Not Harkonnens. Harkonnens like they're meant to be pronounced everywhere yeah. else. I mean, shout out to Father Malone for that one. Harkonnens. Harkonnens. I uh, Frank Herbert was on set with David Lynch, 
you would think that all of the pronunciations inside the Lynch version are correct. I could be wrong, but I figured that they're correct. And then you get to like that sci-fi version. And rather than Chani, he's in love with Cheney. And this is back when Dick Cheney was still around. And I'm just like, why is he in love with Dick Cheney? Why aren't, why wouldn't he be? Well, yeah. He wants to get shot in the face. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> Look again, I think it just speaks to the lack of, uh, lack of faith in the source material. Yeah. Man, I, I'm not I'm not surprised that this is, you know, this is one of these movies, Mike, that we've been talking about for like two years now. Mm-hmm. So you're saying no wonder we're disappointed? No, because I didn't have that high of hopes to begin no, with. Me neither. <laughs> I mean, it's not like you and I were like, fuck, I can't wait for Dune. It's going to yeah. be so good. And that's like, no, it looks fucking boring. It looks really fucking dour. And guess what? It is. Yeah. What do you want us to say? You proved us right. You proved a lot of people right. But the problem is there are so many people that are into that. We've seen it with the goddamn James Bond movies that are so dour, the Batman movies that are so dour, the Fantastic Four movie that was so dour. How many other rebooted fucking movies do I have to remind people of where it's been this like, it's it's real. It's like a real, it's, it's real life. It's grounded in real Godzilla. Godzilla's another one. Like, God damn it. Like, can we have some fun? No, can't do that. It's dark and edgy. Yeah, it's not edgy. It's edging. <laughs> it's made by edge lords, maybe, but it is not edgy. Always Ugh. looking the same is not edgy. When the color palette for your movie is orange and gray, more gray than orange. Yeah. I'm, I'm sick of this super serious shit. Like, God damn it. Come on. Just a little levity. I mean, you don't have to throw in a lot. doesn't have to be every, you know, it's not a Joss Whedon script. You know, you don't have to ever end everything with a zinger. But here's the thing. I don't, when I watch that Lynch movie, it's not funny. I mean, it's, but it's fun. You know, it is fun. And and this movie tries to, okay, what's, you want to know something that's funny. Denis Villeneuve. One of these directors throwing his hat into the ring of terrible opinions on superhero movies, right? Oh, God. Oh, whatever. Same bullshit Nolan or Scorsese has said. Hey, Chris Hey, hey, Chris Nolan and Denis Villeneuve, those movies get the source material. Mm-hmm. You, Chris Nolan did not get the source material with Batman. Can't convince me otherwise. And, he, and Denis Villeneuve doesn't get the source material here. They don't get it. And you can't just no. make movies the same way over and over again. There are tons of people that are going to like this, like we've said. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're going to want a giant spider creature action figure. They're going to want all their, like, weird rounded ships kind of thing, you know, cool. I had no problem with the design of this movie. Oh, I thought it's... it was very well designed. Yeah. And like I said, I think that that Hans Zimmer atonal stuff works for this movie. I was okay with that. Looks great. I mean, some of those scenes, like when they're you know taken off from the spice harvester, I'm like, okay, great. It looks really good. The ornithopter shots, great. Okay, cool. You know, you people that were so upset about ornithopters not having flapping wings and stuff, now you should be happy. You've got them. They look pretty good, I think. Pretty, pretty much what I would expect them to look yeah. like, 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 uh, like dragonflies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I thought the worms looked pretty good. I thought the Hunter Seeker was an interesting design, that it looked more like an insect. I was like, okay, yeah, this stuff looks good. But yeah, it's just like those very robotic performances. And I'm just like, 
that's not a style I can go for. Like there needs to be somebody at the controls. It feels like the, these all are replicants, you know, that feels like they are all just robot players. And it's like, no, please give me other than Jason Momoa feels like he's in a totally different movie. Sometimes <laughs> well, and that's the other thing back to this whole thing about the Marvel movies. People talk about how the Marvel movies undercut their scenes with humor and add unnecessary humor and jokes. Please tell me what Jason Momoa is doing in this movie then. Denis right. Villeneuve, who hates Marvel movies so much, you did the same thing. He's in this movie to prattle off stupid fucking one-liners, not from the book. I'm surprised yeah. he doesn't say, bro, dude, bro. Like, the, again, Jason Momoa, for all of his charisma, is a one-note actor. What is – so he shows them – the other uh atreides he shows them like hey yeah they've got this thing they've got this thing he doesn't really show them a thumper but he shows them a sand is it a sand compressor sand compressor yeah what the fuck is that they all laugh at it like they knew yeah i'm like okay i like it would make sense if he showed them a thumper and then explained what it was i don't know whatever I'm 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 just picking on this movie now, but it it kind of deserves a little bit of picking on. Well, it deserves to be picked on because the person who made it took it upon himself for the last year to constantly say shit that's really tone deaf. <laughs> I mean, we didn't talk about any of the stuff that Denis Villeneuve has said in the last year, complaining about his movie going on to HBO Max, complaining about how people are going to watch it, complaining mm-hmm. about Marvel movies. It's like, dude. Shut the fuck up for a moment and just think you're getting to work in Hollywood doing what you love for a living for millions of dollars and you're going to sit and deride what other people do in the same industry as you for no reason other than you personally think what you do is more important. Importance is only measured, I guess, personally for a lot of people, but in reality, making movies just ain't that important in the grand scheme of things. It is entertainment while being art. But we're living in unprecedented times right now, and you complaining about how your movie's being streamed and where is just, it's beyond tone deaf, dude. And uh, he wasn't the only one, because it was also Chris Nolan. They were the only two that piped up, and Ugh. it was the same argument. They were like, well, my movie's supposed to be seen in IMAX. Cool. That really just, in my opinion, goes to show what you're focusing on with your movies. Yeah. And hey, if somebody wants to explain Tenet to me, feel free to go fuck yourself because I <laughs> really could give a shit about that. So, I yeah, just, you know what we do here on this on this show, on your show, and my show is try to talk about movies in a constructive way, and it is hard sometimes to not be catty when the people who make the movies are so out of touch with just a, a base reality. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, and if you're out of touch with reality, just don't talk about what your reality is. I don't think you or I could fathom, fathom Jason Momoa's reality, what he does on a daily basis. And so he probably shouldn't comment on how his life is so much like ours when we know it's not. <laughs> and that's just, you know what I'm getting at? Like, don't tell me about the things that you think are important when the when the rest of the world is kind of on a very different page. Mm-hmm. It's like that, uh, what was that, that Imagine thing that they did last year? You remember all Oh, this? God, it's yeah. The same, it's the same thing. <sighs> Look, I watched your movie on HBO Max ostensibly. If I had seen it in the theater, my opinion wouldn't be different. Oh. Two to fucking Lou, dude. 
I mean, really, I think I would be, I think I would probably be angry if I saw this in the theater. <laughs> well, paying to see this is one thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And yeah, especially coming along with our HBO Max, you know, accounts. right. And then this whole idea of, uh, yeah, seeing it in IMAX, it's like there's maybe two IMAX theaters around here. One of them's at the Science Center. And it's like, yeah, the, those tickets are really fucking pricey. And so, yeah, I'd be really mad <laughs> if I spent all that money to see this. And then it just falls apart in that last hour. I mean, I mean if. If I were if I were one of them, I would tell people to go see it in IMAX because that's where I get the most money from, I bet. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. Go see my movie with these fifty dollar tickets, please. Right. Yeah, sure. <sighs> yep. Yep. And then you get the uh, AMC theaters around here. I'm not sure if they're still doing Limax where they just take the uh, the uh, matting off of the screen and they call that IMAX. That was when I saw Avatar. I was like, it's an IMAX, and I was like this is an IMAX. This is just the regular screen without the, the matting around it, guys. I'm trying to remember what Cinemark calls it. Cinemark calls it something else, but they have like normal 3D and then they have like the other thing and the, uh-huh. other, the other thing that they have like one theater at every theater has it. I forget what it's called. XD experience. Mm. It has Dolby sound and a bigger screen. Like It's not the D box, is it? <laughs> Oh no, but I know about that. I I don't know. I think I think maybe Cinemark does have those back home. D box, yeah. for those of you that don't know, are are equivalent of like funhouse rides. Like you sit in yeah. the, you know, the thing that you would like that used to be like a thing you would go to at an amusement park where you sit in the seats and it moves. It's that, but during a normal movie, which sounds right. like a nightmare. <laughs> so around here, I just looked up. We have um, the Imagine theaters. They show it in. Emax. <laughs> oh. We have one IMAX theater an hour from here. And so if I wasn't going to see it there, should I have not seen it at all is my question. Yeah. I'm Would you prefer to... if I want to see your film, I not watch it at all if you can't watch it the way you want? That's the question that I want them to answer because I don't think they like the answer to that question very much. No. No, I don't think so either. Because if the answer is no, then you shouldn't say what you're saying because then I'm not going to watch your movie. Mm-hmm. I am trying to see. Okay, yeah, AMC is still saying that they are showing stuff in IMAX, even though they don't have IMAX screens. IMAX. So fuck you, AMC. Great. Now the Ann Arbor Twenty and IMAX. I don't know. I haven't been to the Ann Arbor Twenty, so I don't know if that's true IMAX or not. Uh, look, if this film is trying to sail through on its visuals alone going and seeing it in IMAX is probably something spectacular. Yeah. If but, you like pretty pictures, go for it. Yeah. But that's just not my thing. Not Mm-mm. that's not well, it's not something that personally animates me and that's that's just me. So. Yeah. Disappointed but not surprised about any mm-hmm. of this. Maybe in 2024 we'll have another Dune movie to talk about. It's a good time to end it, I think. Yeah. Do we want to plug anything? Um, nah. (laughs) We'll just end it there. We're fucking beaten down by this movie.